inherent in the resurrected Jesus is power. And that power is made available to us. That's what Romans chapter 6 verse 4 is all about. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead empowers us to walk in newness of life. This is Living a Legacy, featuring the Bible teaching ministry of Crawford Loretz. Good to be with you as we celebrate the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. We'll be pulling away from Crawford's latest series on the Holy Spirit to present an Easter message in which Crawford reveals four scenes that we find in John chapter 21. Jesus' disciples were fearful at the apparent loss of their beloved leader and teacher to crucifixion. We'll see the progression that takes place from crucifixion until after resurrection, a progression which eventually assures the disciples that Jesus' resurrection defeated the power of death and gave them hope and motivation for the future. If you're new to our broadcast, Crawford has served in Christian ministry for over 50 years. He's authored such books as Make It Home Before Dark, Leadership as an Identity, Lessons from a Life Coach, and Your Marriage Today and Tomorrow. Crawford retired as senior pastor of Fellowship Bible Church of Roswell, Georgia in 2021. He served there for 15 years. In fact, today's Easter message is the last message he gave as pastor at Fellowship. Today, Crawford heads an organization called Beyond Our Generation, which mentors those in ministry leadership. Well, let's get right to today's message. Again, our scriptural text is John chapter 21. Here's Crawford Loritz on living a legacy. Well, he is risen. Yes, he is. He is risen indeed. Risen indeed. Let's have a word of prayer together. Holy Father, we thank you for yourself. You thank you for your grace. Thank you for that empty tomb. Thank you that you are the God of new beginnings. And thank you that in a very real sense, that's what the resurrection is all about. It's not just about the validation of a past event, but it's also about the, the demonstration and the dissemination of present power. Uh, God, I pray that you'll speak to us today. I particularly pray for someone today that needs a new beginning, that the Spirit of God will draw our attention to you and uh, to, to what you want to do in and through our hearts and lives. Make your word alive, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs> Have you ever wished that you had a new beginning? You ever wished that you had a fresh start? You know, there's not a person in here that has not had a failure. And by the way, that's the reason why self-righteousness, is, it, it just stinks. Uh, because there's not one of us in here that has not had an oops, that has not had a failure, that has not done something that uh, we're embarrassed about. Uh, some of us have done things that we have, uh, oh man, we, we've hurt people who trust us and we've violated that trust. Um, and yet that's what the hope of the gospel is all about. It's about fresh, new starts, new beginnings. This narrative needs to be seen over against the backdrop of what, what has just taken place. Now, we know about the resurrection of Christ on this side of it. Um, but you have to understand that these disciples, the followers of Jesus, they, they heard, they heard, they heard crucifixion. 
But somehow or another, resurrection didn't register with them, although Jesus spoke about it to them. They just heard crucifixion. And they were scared to death. When Jesus is crucified, this stuff became amazingly real to them. They had walked away from uh, uh, families and relationships. They had walked away from jobs. You know, we kind of glamorize this stuff. Uh, but, but just think about it. Where are they going to go now? It's all over. And on top of that, and the narrative that we're going to get into really is all about Peter. On top of that, Peter, Peter, the inner circle of the disciples, he had denied Jesus three times. This is the same dude that said <laughs> at Caesarea Philippi, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. It's the same one in the garden. They're taking his sword and cut the, cut the ear of the, of the soldier off. And yet three times, he says, I don't know him. I don't know him. And the last time, um, most scholars believe he even cursed. He was so adamant. No, I don't know the blankety blank. So now Jesus has been crucified and he's resurrected. Enter John 21. John 21. I, I think there are four scenes in this narrative. Scene one, I've entitled, Back to What They Were. Back to What They Were. You look at this, and uh, Jesus and some of the disciples who are fishermen, they're hanging out together. They're on the Sea of Tiberias, the same, sea thing, uh, same place as the Sea of Galilee. And verse 2 says, Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. Say, they said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Now, I think they went fishing for obviously for two reasons. They didn't say they were going fishing just because of a, a diversion and this would be a nice relaxing thing to do. Let's see if we can catch some big ones out here, this kind of thing. No, that, they, they went fishing for two reasons. Number one is that they had families to take care of. They, they went back to what they knew. This was their previous business. This is their previous occupation. So they had families to take care of, so let's go fishing. But I think the second reason why, and Peter led, led the charge in this, is that this cloud, this cloud of guilt was over him. This cloud of guilt was over him. Again, that he had denied Jesus three times. He said, I, no, I, I, you know, I don't know what's gonna happen to us, and I don't know what's gonna go on, uh, but, but he said, let's go fishing. Let's go fishing. Man. So Peter is distracted by all of this stuff. He's burdened. He's feeling guilt. And so he decides to pull back. You know, I've met a lot of Christians like that. I met a number of Christians who, because of failure in their life, they can't overcome what they've done there's guilt there. You find them just pulling back from people, pulling back from the church, pulling back from fellowship, pulling back from other things. 
They made choices and decisions in the cloud of embarrassment, cloud of guilt, causes you to go back to a comfortable place. And Peter's probably saying, look, I tried this discipleship thing before. Okay, I tried this discipleship thing, and you see what happened. Jesus is dead. We're out here. Man, this is no good. Well, scene one, they go back to what they knew, back to where they were. But scene two, Jesus comes and meets them where they are. Look at verse four. Verse four says, just as day was breaking. Now, mind you, they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the other side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. The disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the, in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off, a hundred yards off. What I want you to notice here is that Jesus performs a miracle before he identifies who he is. That's very significant. He performs a miracle before he identifies who he is. Now, you, you, you got to understand something. There's some dynamics going on here. The, these were not your recreational fishermen, okay? It was not like, you know, me or somebody else here. Uh, these, were, <laughs> these were seasoned, experienced fishermen. And they had fished all night and hadn't caught anything. And so this dude on the shore says, okay, go in and catch the net on the other side. He are you serious? This ain't our first rodeo. We caught nothing, goose egg, all night. And I suppose the conversation is, well, you know, I'm, you know, I don't know who the man is, but just go ahead and throw the, the, this, this humor in. We can't, you know, lose anything. So, and all of a sudden, they catch all the fish. It's amazing. And then right after they pull in this incredible haul. John recognizes it's Jesus. It's Jesus. I think what he's trying to say, and this is all, this is all directed primarily toward Peter. What he's trying to say is, Peter, 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 Peter. You can't run from me. You can't outrun mercy and grace. Did you hear what I said? You cannot outrun mercy and grace. I can invade your circumstances right where you are. I can put you back to, and wherever I am, I don't know how to make too much of the imagery here, but wherever I am, there's always abundance. No matter what you've done. I can meet you right where you are. And this is what the resurrected Savior is saying to all of us. I can meet you. I will meet you. I will meet you right where you are. Stop promising me stuff. 
I can step into your mess, your confusion, your contradictions, your ambivalence, your doubts, your fears. I can transform that. I can meet you right where, where you are. That's scene two. Scene three is the meal, fellowship on the shore. Now, th this, this, is, uh, this is rather dramatic here. So you've been fishing all night. The reason why you went fishing is because uh, you were not sure about this old resurrection piece here. Uh, you had to go make a living. Um, and Peter has got this cloud over his head. Uh, this man on the shore sits on the net on the other side. You, you get this hall, you bring in here. Oh, it's Jesus. And you come to the shore, and he's cooking breakfast for you. When they got out, of the, out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid on it and bread. Again, he did this for Peter. He did this primarily for Peter. This is amazing. Charcoal fire is not a hap just, just, just something that happened here. Peter denied Jesus by a charcoal fire. One of the most powerful triggers of memory is smell. Smell. When, I, when, I, when someone is wearing Old Spice aftershave, I think of my dad. I think of riding on the subway up to the Bronx to go to the Yankee Stadium as a little dude next to my dad. It triggers memory. Jesus purposely cooks breakfast by the charcoal fire. Peter, come here. Come here. What was he doing? Was he, was he being sadistic? Was he rubbing that in? No, he wasn't. What he was saying to Peter is this. Your place of failure can become the altar of new beginnings. And I just want you to remember what you did. But I want you, I want you to remember that I'm here at the charcoal fire. You denied me, but I want to deliver you. And that's what I want to do in your heart and life right now. Peter, charcoal fire. And, he, and, and they eat there in silence, by the way. Nobody's saying anything. They're stunned. Revelation 3.20 says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and I will dine with them. I will eat with them. There's a strange, strange, crazy thing about failure. Sometimes when we screw up, we shut down. We block off the very person that wants to heal us and to help us and forgive us. I've seen a number of Christians do that, who have, uh, who have, who have somehow been caught up in sin or they can't overcome this 
temptation in their hearts and lives, this mighty struggle that they have and what have you. And, 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 and instead of depending upon the grace of God moment by moment, they attack God's grace and they attack the very one that wants to come to them and deliver them. And this, this, this act of eating together was just this amazing, amazing expression that no, 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 I'm, I'm your friend. We're breaking bread together. I'm with you. You, you don't need to push me away. I'm here with you. And the fourth and the final scene is recommissioning. Recommissioning. A lot has been made of uh, John 21 verses 15 through 19, and you read a lot of commentaries, and you know, people have a lot of uh, interesting insights on all of this, and who am I? This is just my view. I think sometimes there are too many, uh, you know, some of the insights are just convoluted in my thinking, uh, you want to you want to just surgically analyze. Well, what's to feed my lambs? Uh, what's to tend my sheep? What's to feed my sheep? And all of these other things. But I just I want to point us to the reality that Jesus asked Peter three times, "Do you love me?" Verse fifteen. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to, to Simon Peter, "The others are still there." Jesus singles out Simon Peter. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Now here's the point. Jesus did not ask Peter uh, three times, uh, do you love me? Because Jesus needed to know and be assured that Peter loved him. Jesus knew that Peter loved him. So he wasn't asking Peter to get information to affirm that in Jesus' mind. He was asking that so that Peter would hear himself say it. So that it could be confirmed in Peter's own heart and mind. The second reason why I think he asked him, do you love me? Was because he, he, was, he, he wanted Peter to understand that the driving force of his life and his ministry and everything that he would do from this point on had to be, had to be the love for the Lord Jesus more than anything else. Hear me on this. The reason why we gather as a church, the reason why we exist as a church, and the reason why we move ministry down the, down the field as a church is because we love Jesus. We love Jesus. And he wanted Peter to know that, Peter, 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 do you, you, you need to say this. Do you love me? By the way, he asked him that three times, I think, and I don't want to play with this too much. He asked him that three times because Peter denied him three times. Peter denied him three times. 
And each time he was saying subliminally, look, 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 look. Do you love me? Yes, I love you. Strike the denial out. Do you love me? Yes, I love it. Strike the denial out. Do you love me? Yes, I love it. Strike the denial out. It's no longer an issue, Peter. Quit hiding, buddy. Stop running. Stop excusing yourself. Stop beating yourself up. You're cleansed. You're forgiven. You're recommissioned. One other thing I'd like to say. This is all done by the resurrected Christ. And it's not lost on Peter or his disciples that this man who was once dead is now alive, has cooked breakfast for us, and is telling me, commissioning me to feed his sheep. Inherent in the resurrected Jesus is power. And that power is made available to us. That's what Romans chapter 6, verse 4 is all about. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead empowers us to walk in newness of life. We will all dismally fail the Lord Jesus apart from his power. But his power and his grace keeps us. That's what the resurrection and the empty tomb is all about. Father, thank you so much for yourself. Thank you for the hope that is found in Jesus. Thank you for the deliverance that's found in him. And I pray, God, for those who are here, those who are watching online, that if they're not followers of yours, that they will say in their hearts, even right now as I pray, Lord Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for my sin. Thank you that uh, there's no sin that is greater than the grace of God. There's no sin that's greater, Lord, than the sufferings of our Savior. Father, I pray that they will trust you as Savior and Lord and give their hearts and lives to you. Strengthen us, we pray. Uh, God, may we celebrate with joy the fact that we have a living Savior, that he's transformed our lives, and he's given us a reason for hope. In Jesus' name, amen. Four scenes in John chapter 21. Scene 1, back to where they were. Scene 2, Jesus comes to meet them where they are. Scene 3, fellowship on the shore. And scene 4, recommissioning. Well, Jesus offers you that new beginning. If you've come to realize that you can't make it on your own, pray the prayer Crawford illustrated a moment ago. Admit your failures to God, your sin, which the Bible says is an offense to God. Ask Him to forgive you for trying to live your life without Him. Grasp that new beginning. And if you'd like help in that process, someone is willing to speak with you right now at 888-NEED-HIM. You can know the true peace and joy that comes from knowing God in a personal way. 888-NEED-HIM. If you weren't able to hear all of today's Easter message, check it out online at livingalegacy.org, livingalegacy.org. Look for the past programs link. Well, next week we'll continue Crawford's series, Supernatural, looking at the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Take a moment to write to us at legacy at moody.edu, legacy at moody.edu. Well, happy Easter from all of us here, and thanks for listening. 
Living a Legacy is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute.